Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Good morning. Good morning. Let's st- thank you, Steve. <laughs> Let's stand to our feet, begin our time of worship together as our custom, reading God's word aloud to each other. Uh, we're gonna kind of go back and forth this morning, so I'll read the leader part, and you guys read the congregation part. We're gonna be reading through Psalm 145 throughout the morning. So we're going to read parts of it now and parts of it later. So if you would, uh, if, uh, I'll read the leader part, and whenever the congregation part comes up, you read that. So we're going to read Psalm 145 together. It says, I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next, and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness, and will joyfully sing of your The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's prayer. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Now that we've said it together, we're going to sing it together. So would you join us as we sing? Sing this, I'll bless. I'll bless your name, O God, each day that I
Now let me try it again. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Hebrew Baptist Church. I am Pastor Sean, and I am glad that you are here this morning as we worship the risen King. Amen? We are glad to sing his praises because he deserves all of our praise. And it also just happens to be Mother's Day. So we're glad that you are here today celebrating with your mother. Maybe you're here with your mother. Uh, Maybe you're thinking about your mother. Maybe you uh, know that your mom would be mad at you if you weren't in church this morning. But we're glad that you're here today and uh, that we worship together. Well, this morning, first of all, I want to welcome our guests. Several of you are here today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, If this is your first time being with us today, we want to say welcome. We hope that you feel welcome and are welcome by all sorts of different people here at Hebron Baptist Church. One of the ways that we want to welcome you is that we connect with you. And the way that we do that is through a connect card. In the pew in front of you, there's something called a connect card. And we'd ask that you'd fill that out and then take it to our next steps desk, which is through these double doors to the immediate left. There will be some ladies standing there, and we want you to hand it to them so that they can connect with you, answer any of your questions. But if this is your first time with us today, you will receive a gift for being here. We want to let you know that we appreciate you being here, and we want to get to know you better. So please do that for us this morning. Now, I want to do something today uh, to honor our mothers. Today we know that we should give honor to where honor is due. And we know that God has blessed us with mothers in our lives who have encouraged us, pointed us to Jesus, prayed for us when we were afar, encouraged us with their love, and helped us in many different patches of our life. We know that our mothers deserve honor. And so today, if you are a mother, would you please stand so that we can honor you? Thank you, mothers. Thank you so much for being here today. We know that we are are better because of you, and we know we're a better church because of you, and we're thankful for you. Well, today we also want to honor some special mothers that are uh, in our midst. Uh, God has blessed us with with. Uh, new mothers, old mothers, ones with great big families, and we know that God has blessed in many different ways. So today we want to honor just a few of those in our midst. The first mother that we would like to honor today is our oldest mother. Now, this is the mother who has persevered, prayed, and done so for a long season and generation of life, and we're thankful for them in our lives. So Because we know that the Lord has blessed us with mothers of many seasons of experience, 
uh, we, we're going to kind of ramp this up a little bit because here we know at Hebrew Baptist Church we have a lot of mothers. So how about if you're a mother who is aged 80 or above, would you stand up if you're able? Very good. Wonderful. Now, remain standing, and watch this, if you are a mother who's 95 or above. There we go. Now, to one's a whippersnapper to the other one, right? Because Marie is 98, 98. And Clara May Ryle is a hundred, almost 101, right? She, in October. So Mark is going to give our, a little treat from us to her. Excuse me, I should have gotten these out of my pocket. Uh, for a special treat. What a wonderful blessing to have both of these ladies in our, in our congregation. Now, what about our, see, these are, so some of these I don't know. So let's just say you've had a child in the last two years. So they're two or younger. Would you stand up? So they're two or younger. Okay. All right. So, well, this is easy. We could just kind of go down the line. How old is yours? Two in June. Two in July. Two in July. Oh. Okay. Well, we've got a winner right over here with Miss Mandy. Oh, no, no, sorry. Yeah, yes, yes. Danny, it's Danny. June, June. What did she say? Yeah, July. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, okay, sorry. June? Okay, sorry. Let, hey, let's be real. The mothers should be doing this. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one already. Mark, we'll go ahead and stand up here. So then you can watch, and then we can double check. If you have five or more kids, stand up. Five and or more. Okay. All right. Let's just go around this way, okay? How many? Seven. We've got our winner right here. <laughs> Seven. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, and grandkids, grandkids. We've been blessed with many grandkids. What is it? The uh, Grandkids are the crown of the righteous, right? Of the righteous parents, the many blessings. It's Someone said this past couple months said it's the reward for putting up with our children right is that what that's what okay yeah so how many have grandkids right so grandkids how many have let's just do it this way 10 or more stand up 10 or more oh wow competing together <laughs> I've <got more. laughs> 
She just dropped the mic on that. How many? How many do you have? 21. Nobody's beating that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a blessing mothers are. We are so thankful uh, that the Lord has blessed us in so many ways. But we, we also acknowledge that there are people that are not, haven't been our actual birth moms who have served in that way. God has blessed many families uh, and many people, many of us, with other ladies who have stepped in in that role who have been a mom in our life. I think we need to remember those people. I think of the many people in our church who have served as moms to people who don't have moms. There are people here who I know have struggled to be moms. And the Lord knows you and loves you. This doesn't mean that moms are a special category that is, makes God love them more. Actually, God loves us all equally. And we are all blessed. And those of you who are single, the Lord gives you this opportunity in life to be single. And maybe you'll be single your whole life. Or maybe God will change you, your, your status someday. Wherever you are, God loves us. And we're thankful for where God has placed us in our life. Today we want to first honor God through our prayer today. We want to honor mothers. We want to honor people together today. We'll be reminded that God loves us. That we're given mothers because God loves us and knew that we need that. And God's filled that love in many of our lives in different ways. And so we're thankful for that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning uh, for giving us mothers. Thank you for knowing that we needed their patient, loving care. It reflects the love and patience that you've given us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the people that you've placed in our lives when Maybe our mothers have, have fallen or maybe not loved you or pointed us to you. Thank you for the church and, and those people that are around us that have become mothers in our lives. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for mothers and, and all that they do. We're thankful for, Lord, for people even right now who maybe are struggling with infertility. Or, uh, Lord, help them to know you're right there with them and that you love them, that you care for them. And Lord, we are thankful this morning that we can come into your house and praise your name. Ultimately, we know that God, in this love, has been shown through your son dying on the cross. That none of us are perfect. There are no perfect moms. But we know that God, you have died to save them through your son, Jesus Christ. And that Lord, through faith, we can be made new. So Lord, as we come into this house we come focused on you our heavenly father who is the giver of all good things who has given us life who's given us mothers but ultimately has given us the greatest gift the forgiveness of sins lord be with us today as we worship your name may you be the one who is great on our hearts and our lips and our focus today no matter what we have planned for the rest of the day Lord, in this hour, in this day, your day, may we praise your mighty name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to read to us the rest of Psalm 145, the middle section, as an encouragement to us, um, having spent a moment reflecting and praying 
about what God has done for us in Christ. So this is uh, Psalm 145, verse, one, er, verse 8 through 16. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Would you stand to your feet, and let's sing and rejoice together. Come and stand before your Maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold His power and glory, yet with confidence strong For the One who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bids to bless us with an unrelenting love.
time from God's word, let's make it our prayer that he would come among us, that he would help us to understand what we're hearing, and that we would put ourselves under his lordship as our king. So let's sing this. Oh, 
darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Do you believe that? Would you say amen? Amen. Thank you for singing. You may be seated. in your copy of God's Word to Zephaniah chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 13. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible that's in front of you, it's page 835. 835, it's on the right-hand side of the Bible. For those of you who maybe are new visiting today, haven't been here maybe for a few weeks for different reasons, today we are continuing a series called Edge of Exile. We've actually been working through the book of Habakkuk and Zephaniah, uh, working and thinking through what it feels like to be on the edge of uncertainty, knowing that God was punishing Israel for their sin. How do we live? How do we trust? How do we uh, hold on to the Lord? And we've looked in several different ways how we can trust in the sovereign hand of God and how we can trust Him in all things. Today we're going to look at this again and be reminded of the characteristic of God that he is active and at work in the world even when we don't see him. And when we know that he's at work, we can trust him in all things. So let us look in verse 10 to 13 of chapter 1 of Zephaniah. On that day, this is the Lord's declaration. There will be an outcry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second city, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you residents of the hollow, for all the merchants will be silenced. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. And at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will not do good or evil. Their wealth will become plunder and their houses a ruin. They will build houses but never live in them, plant vineyards but never drink their wine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we come to you to drink of the good news of Jesus Christ, to find your wisdom for our life to live according to your good word and as we come to your word today a book and a chapter 
that maybe we don't read often. We acknowledge that every word of your mouth is inspired and true. That every word of your mouth is good for your people. And we acknowledge that it's authoritative over our lives. So Lord, as we read of it, we ask you, Lord, through your spirit to change us that we may never be the same again upon reading it. We ask you to change us, to make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about living on the edge of exile, but we as Christians in the 21st century are on the edge of exile. As Christians, we live in a culture that is far from God and that we know that it's going further and further away. And as Christians, we wonder, how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do when we know that we are more silenced? We live in a world that doubts gender, that doubts when life begins, that doubts basic scientific truth, that understands and even takes even debating this issue off the table. You know, in our, it puts us as Christians in a place not knowing how we should live. When we're in our schools, we know that it's easier to be silent than to be faced with the waves that would face us when sharing the truth. In the workplace, we know that it's frowned upon when we share the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. More and more, the world operates with no regard to how Christians should operate with it. And as with Judah, it was rejecting God, even as it rejected God. They didn't know what was the next terrible thing to happen next. Now, even those who were living apart from God and, and not living according to his ways had a sense of what was happening in the world. They were facing threats from the south of Egypt. They were facing threats of the north from Syria, who had already had the northern kingdom fallen. The people of Judah must be thinking, are we to go next? And we know that they would. That was the message of Habakkuk and Zephaniah, right? That God was sending punishment for their sin in the form of the Babylonian Empire to come to crush their city, take them over, to take them into exile. And this would happen within the next 50 years of the very words of Zephaniah. We know that God is at work. As we talked last week, even writing and doing injustice and bringing just judgment upon the people. But this is the overarching message of Habakkuk and Zephaniah and here in our text that God is at work and is active in the world. God is promising in this text that his, to his people that he is active and moving and working his sovereign will and plan into action. It seemed as though some, even then, were doubting that God was even active at all. That things were just going on with any causation. That the world was just spinning and God had turned his back and things were just going to happen as they did. And needless to say, they had rejected, some had rejected and left God a long time ago. 
But friends, what we read in the scripture is that God is active and moving things for his glory and our good. He is sovereign, moving nations and leaders and people in times that he is in control. And in this, this is a great encouragement to us because we don't know what tomorrow holds, but he does. Our lives may be a mist, but it's a mist in the mighty hand of God. Isn't this encouraging, brother and sister? To know that we are not an accident, that things aren't happening without causation, that God is controlling all things to his glory, that he's protecting, loving, and caring for us. It is good to know that God is overseeing our life. But it is very easy for us to go back or to turn back and act as if God doesn't exist. To live our life in a way without any regard to him. Even as Christians, it's easy to go about our days as functioning atheists. In other words, we believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. We go through our days and face our storms forgetting what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing in our lives. The great Charles Spurgeon even observed this when he was preaching. He said one day, he said, let me ask you, how many atheists are now in this house? Perhaps not a single one of you would accept the title. And yet, if you live from Monday morning to Saturday night in the same way as you would live, if there were no God, you are a practical atheist. Functioning atheist is living the day without any regard for God and that anything good can only come from your hand and anything bad happens, you have the answer for it. And we live in a time, ultimately, that we know that there's uncertainty. But when we do, often we default to making our own decisions without any regard to God and his plan for our lives. We go about our business, asking if God is not even at work. And when we know that we turn to things that we know don't hold the answer. But friends, today our scripture is a reminder to us that God is active, that he is at work, that we can be comforted when we are challenged, when we're lost at what to say, to be knowing that God is at work and to be a warning to us to not fall into complacency. In this passage, there are three truths to be reminded that God is active and at work in our world. So if you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin or in your notes on your phone, number one, God is active. Therefore, our wealth will not protect us. God is active. Therefore, our wealth will not protect us. Verse 10 through 11, let's just read this together. And, and as we see, you'll read that God's coming judgment had a geographical direction that he was saying. 
In verse 10, on that day, this is the Lord's declaration, there will be an outcry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second district, a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you residents of the hollow, for all the merchants will be silenced. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. This geographical direction is showing that God is at work punishing the people for his sin. But he's doing so from, it seems, a northern direction of the city. As he describes, maybe you haven't had the opportunity to be in Jerusalem or study a map, but in this, he is describing the northern route of Jerusalem. That it is the easiest way in the city for merchants to come and to go. But it would also be the easiest route for attacking armies to come. So as God is describing the punishment comes, he, you can almost walk with him through it. That through the fish gate, which would be the northern gate, judgment and attacks will come. Through then the second district, which would be a, a newer portion of the city, what would be called the second district, which to the north, north of the temple, a newer area, the, the attack would be coming. More also, you hear the wailing from the hills. These would be the hills outside of the gate to the north. But ultimately, what do we hear in verse 11? Wailing from the district known as the hollow it would be very similar to us as what we would say to maybe wall street or to a, a market district it was described for its hollow shaped bowl depression in the city where people would come and go and fairs would go about of the of the market and of the business it was located in this depression and what this attack was saying is we are coming from the very outside to the very heart of what matters your money a serious calamity was happening saying those who built and were leaders and depended on the business of the financial times they were being struck because everything was being cut off and what they had built their life on no longer mattered and couldn't save them. This is nothing new to us, is it? In our day and time when we face inflation and financial calamity, when we read of people back in 2008 in the financial housing collapse, it is recorded that, that there were at least we know of two and if not more two brokers in two different cities who committed suicide because of the economic collapse last year the the fin chief financial officer of bed bath and beyond committed murder after they announced the firings of many people financial distress cuts to the heart and people who have built their lives upon it are shaken when it's taken away. Having understanding this, we know that God is punishing and tearing down an idol that we often run to. Financial comfort. 
You know, it's often that when we think that God is at, not at work, that we depend on ourselves, we often judge that based on the status of our bank account or whether we can pay this bill or what we can do. We give very little attention to what God is doing and how we can please God and depend on him. It is when with our finances that we ultimately trust more than God. And ultimately, when it comes to our spiritual nature, it is the biggest hurdle that we have for giving our full heart to God. Having compared notes with our, our evangelists and missionaries and pastors, even across the pond in London, one of the most difficult things for us as Americans, and it's seemingly all over the world, is to ask people to trust in God alone and not their finances. Sharing the gospel in the most affluent areas is the hardest because when everything is on the table, when food is on the table, comfort is there, it is hard to say, I need to trust in God. Instead of trusting in the Lord, they trust in their own comfort that comes from money. That is why even Jesus observed in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Friends, in the same way, we must not kid ourselves that this is not just something that we deal with. We know that here in America, we are by far lapping every other world country when it comes to finances. Even the poorest among us are the richest among the rest of the world. But the reality is it is our wealth and our comfort that we turn to. And friends, verse 10 and 11 is this. Our wealth will not keep us from the judgment of God. And though we might trust in our money, this, even that will fail us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. Brother and sister, you cannot trust your finances more than God. The coming judgment and any distressful thing, you might think your money might protect you, but you know it will ultimately fail you. I would imagine that often we, we fall back on that as a level of comfort. But friends, the message of the Bible is to trust him and him alone. To have no other gods before me, even ones that include dollar signs. It helps us to know that we must trust him in all things. I would imagine that those who do not give of their finances to kingdom priorities or to the church... Ultimately, what you struggle with the most is trusting your money more than trusting God. And brothers and sisters, when God calls us to give our finances, he's not trying to get your money out of your pocket. He's trying to get the idol out of your heart. Because ultimately, we know that God doesn't need our money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but he wants to be first place in your heart. 
He wants to be the person you turn and trust to more. And when we don't trust God, we certainly aren't giving and gracious people. When we don't trust God, we certainly won't give a tithe. When we don't trust God, then we certainly lean on our finances more than we lean on Him. And we certainly become functioning atheists when it comes to our money, as if God doesn't exist and give us direction for it. Brother, sister, God shows with this text that He and His destruction will collapse all things, everything, even the finances that we depend on. And it's the same that will happen that should remind us to not store treasures on earth, but to store them in heaven. Therefore, we should trust God and be thankful that He's active because He is at work amongst us. That We can't even depend on money. We can only depend on Him. We need to trust God more than we trust our money. Number two, we can see that God is active, therefore complacency is based on a lie. God is active, therefore complacency is based on a lie. Verse 12, And at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, The Lord will not do good or evil. Well, acting like the police on a raid searching for contraband, God will perform a lamp-lit search looking for sin among this people. His goal is not to look for an honest person, but to catch those who have displeased him in order to punish them. Their sin is not a clear and outright public commission of evil, but a more private omission of good. It is their complacency. These people wanted to be identified as people of God, and yet they ignored their responsibilities. That they wanted to reap the benefits of being on God's team, yet not doing anything to love, follow, and obey God. Verse 12 gives us a picture of this. It actually says in verse 12 that they will, those who settle down comfortably here on the CSB. When the Hebrew, it literally means to settle on the dregs. This is a great picture that, the, that Zephaniah was given. The dregs are those that are the fermented part of wine, that, that the, the parts that would settle at the bottom of the vat or the bottom of the bottle. And over time, what they would do is they would siphon off the dreg at the bottom, something that would come over time, that they would pour the good part into another one, putting the bad part away. This picture says is this residue, this dreg, they had, the people had ultimately settled to an indifference to allow the evil to reside in them, that they were just complacent to let it happen, to live comfortably. These people deny God's activity and are condemned for their apathy. Much as Martin Luther King Jr. chided our generation for say, as he said, when we shall have, have to repent in this generation, not so much 
of the evil deeds of the wicked people, but for the appalling silence of good people. Friends, there are many of us among us as Christians that are guilty of complacency, of settling in the dregs, who thinking as though that we can just let God just work and and do things and yet not deal with our own sin, not be faithful in our obedience to Christ, not read our Bible, not evangelize, not share the gospel, not do the things that God has commanded us as his people to be, that we've allowed the world to just keep on going as if we have nothing to do Maybe you know people like this who are proud to live in a Christian country to insist that they are godly people who live by a Christian ethic. They think, I don't need to be afraid about anything. Do you know about people like that? Who just think that if they do just a good enough things that, that judgment will pass them over somebody, some way? Maybe they live according to the new age theology of, that you hear, unfortunately, mostly at funerals of people who have lived far from God, but everyone attests, well, they're going to the good place. They're going to a better place. Or maybe you know they've taken hold of some mishy-mashy, horrible theology that we're all going to become angels, which has nothing to do with the Bible, by the way. Just that if we're good enough, God is going to somehow work it out out in the end. Brothers and sisters, these are lies from Satan's lips and have lulled to sleep many of us into a slumber of complacency because we think that we have no bearing to do anything what God wants us to do that we don't have to obey him we don't have to live for him we don't have to acknowledge him that somehow it's just going to work out in the end but friends that's the opposite of the scripture that we know that we are to take up our cross and follow him that we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that we know we are called as those who are gifted of grace to follow and obey God. But unfortunately, we've become complacent. We've come, become complacent that we've not discipled our children. And yet all the while, they're being discipled by the world. They're being discipled not by us and the Bible and our homes they're being discipled through social media and their friends and through all sorts of things contrary to God. They're seeped in secular humanism. They're taught deny God. I just read a research this morning of, of, uh, of a, a college who, who opened up dummy accounts on TikTok as if they were 13-year-olds. And do you know what the highest number of recommendations for these new accounts for 13-year-olds were? Suicide. Change your gender. Depression. That is what's being aimed at our children. 
And yet we have been lulled into complacency to think that the world, by living, our, letting our children just go out into the world and not discipling them with the word of God, that everything's going to work out in the end. Brothers and sisters, we need to bring back God in our families. We need to put foundationally what we are doing and discipling as parents that we need to partner with our church. We need to get our kids into church and encourage them so that they're hearing the gospel, being partnered with other people in the gospel, that they are working together as other families together in a church family to, to encourage them in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there's a complacency that's set in our lives and our churches, not only in our families, but in the urgency for the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we know that the Bible tells us there is only one way to Christ. There's only one way for salvation. It is in Christ alone, through faith alone in Him. And those of us we know who are far from Christ are far from the kingdom of heaven. And that we know that we need to understand that is that we need to not be complacent about the Great Commission. We don't need to just hope that our friends and family will join us in heaven one day. We need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they will trust and believe. We need to be reminded that those who enter the kingdom of God come through Jesus Christ. And even more so that we know that Jesus has said to many people, some of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he will say, away from me, I, will ne I never knew you. Friends, we cannot be complacent about the gospel in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've allowed sin to even encamp in your life for so long, thinking it's just going to work out in the end. Brothers and sisters, repent! We can't be complacent about the sin in our life. God did not save us to hope that we coast across the finish line. God wants us to serve him till the end. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming because of that day the heavens will dissolve with fire and the elements will melt with heat. Brothers and sisters, we can't be complacent. And we can be thankful that God is at work we know that he is saving people through his gospel, so we must share the gospel. We must know that God is forgiving sins, therefore we must be admitting our sins to him and repenting away from them. Friends, this is not a time for complacency. It's a time for trusting in God who is active. Third and finally, God is active, therefore God plans, God's plan will not bend to yours God is active therefore God's plans will not bend 
to yours. Verse 13, their wealth will become plunder and their houses are ruined. They will build houses but never live in them, plant vineyards but never drink their wine. Functionally speaking, they live for themselves, making themselves the masters of their own domain. They could attempt to claim spiritual neutrality, but they were far from neutral, the people of Judah. Notice that God's judgment for these individuals who had deluded themselves into thinking they were the be-all, end-all, that they were trying to be neutral in all this, they were actually worshiping something else, that they were worshiping at the feet of comfort, of pleasure, and ultimately, God was going to destroy them all. And in verse 13, Zephaniah prophesies the things they had built their lives on would be destroyed. God was dismantling the gods all around them, little g-gods. And other than when they get to complacency, the reality is when we get to complacency, we get to the point of never wanting God's will for our lives at all. And therefore, we don't consult God with our decisions, our paths, or asking his will for our lives. But God showed how he would treat those like this, that they would build houses, great houses to live in. But what would happen? They were swept off to exile and never got to live in them. That they planted vineyards, great vineyards, a sign of wealth and status to make much wine, to make much pleasure. And what would happen? They were swept into exile and they were burned to the ground. Everything that had been built on faded away. And this is what God is seeking to show us. That he is working a plan for us, for his glory and our good. And when we build our lives on other things, they're going to fail. We are to find his will and live in it, that we are to follow his ways and be obedient. And when it comes to making decisions, we can't get complacent because we should be making the decisions according to God's plan and direction. This is a reminder that James wrote for us chapter 4 verse 13 he says come now you who say tomorrow today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be for you are a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes instead you should say if the lord wills we will live and do this or that but as it is you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Brothers and sisters, we need to trust God for our plans. We are thankful that he is active in directing our lives, knowing it for his glory and our good. And maybe the first thing that we should do if we find ourselves here in this moment in complacency and living our own way and living in a path that is is apart from God maybe the first thing you should do today is turn to Jesus Christ turn to him who died on the cross for your sins that if we doubt that God is active well 
Friends, God was active by sending his son to die for you. He worked the whole world so that at the proper time that Christ was a sacrifice for sin. That it was the perfect sacrifice, knowing that it put to death all sin, those committed, and that those who trust in Jesus can be forgiven. That if we turn to Christ, knowing it is in him, by faith that we can be forgiven, that we can trust in Jesus Christ. Friends, we cannot be complacent in our spot in life and hope that one day in the future we might take him seriously. We can't just hope one day that things might turn around. We can't just be complacent about the sin that is raging in our life. Instead, we need to trust in Christ and live for him. And we need to know that Jesus Christ died for us personally. That you need a personal relationship with Jesus. It is faulty to believe that Jesus Christ paid a price and that just it spilled over over everybody else and somehow were covered by some universalist payment. We only accept the payment of our sins through trust, trusting in Jesus Christ ourselves. We need a personal Savior who died for our sins. It is in Him alone that we can trust. It can't be because our grandfather went to church a long time ago or that our, our dad was a deacon or that we somehow are around spiritual things. We must know Jesus. And we must trust in him. Friend, maybe today the first step for you to walk out of this complacency and trust in the God as activists and trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, in trusting Christ alone and understanding this, if God is active, then maybe it means rejecting or repenting or turning away from the little g gods that we have put in our lives the things that we turn to for comfort and pleasure the things that we hope in and that we depend on instead of God friends we need to be like the people of Ephesus when they heard the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ that he and he alone saves the people went home and brought their books of witchcraft and sorcery and the idols in their homes brought it to the center of the city and caught it ablaze because they knew there was no hope in those things other than the risen King Jesus Christ. And I know that in our lives, there's probably some of us that think by turning away from these things, by turning away from those things, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's a, it's a big thing. But, but maybe turning away those, from those things is going to be the most freeing thing you've ever done. That you're no longer weighed down by idols that will fail you or things that will hinder you, hinder your spiritual growth, hinder your life keep you from God keep you from the church and his people maybe if you get rid of all those things you will find yourself in the center of God's will 
in his very heart. So maybe some of us today need to turn away from some idols. Maybe it's work or grades or relationships or money or whatever that is that you are placing your comfort in other than God because he is active and he is at work and we can trust in him. And to friends, brothers and sisters, to you here today who who are enduring, who are being faithful, who knows it is very hard to live in this culture not knowing what is going to happen next. That we're on this edge of exile not knowing what's going to happen. Brother, sister, take heart because God is at work. Take heart because he's working for his glory and your good. Take heart because he is holding you in his hands. Take heart because even on the edge of exile, God is still king and God still has you and you can trust in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder. And I pray, God, that we would turn away from the areas of idolatry in our lives, the things that we are trusting in more than you. God, don't allow us to be complacent as your people. Help us to live for you fully and you alone. And God, I pray today would be a day of conviction and cutting to the heart. Maybe we need to turn to you as Savior and Lord. And God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for some here. God, maybe today is the day that someone walks away from the idols that they've created. But God, may we leave this place knowing that you are the one that we can trust in in all things. It is in your gospel, it's in Jesus Christ alone that we live. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing together. Let's sing this together. What is our hope? What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing God is good.
just say one thing about that video first of all everyone needs to be part of bible school bible school is the greatest and most important yep thank you uh that it is the most still the most important act of evangelism that churches do 
and planting the seeds of the gospel in young lives and so we hope that you'll part of it one thing i just disagree with that one video it says put on your armor and come to bible school you don't need armor to work with our kids okay they they are good kids i mean maybe a couple of them but uh we won't name any names none of my kids we won't name them right now anyways i'll tell you about them later uh we hope that you'll be part of vacation bible school uh, out uh, in the foyer, Christy will be there. We need mostly people who will walk around with kids and take them from place to place. It's the time, it's actually the most rewarding time because you'll get to spend the most time with those kids, have spiritual conversations with them, and hopefully teach them the gospel that, that they would uh, respond in faith. And so this is a great opportunity. There's a whole lot of other opportunities uh, in the bulletin. She said there's even some that, you know, if you, you can't work with kids or there's other things things that maybe uh, physical things that you can't do there is a way for you to volunteer in some way so so go see Christy uh, as we get geared up for vacation bible school here at Hebron Baptist Church we want to be all in on VBS right this is our year of being all in and want to be all in on vacation bible school a couple of th other things we want to be all in on gospel to every home uh, going out we need more and more teams to go out and to knock on doors and meet our neighbors next week is one of our all-in sundays meaning that we need a go team a child care team and a prayer team and uh, we hope that you will come next sunday at four o'clock we will not do it today because of mother's day uh, activities but next sunday come be all in as we go to all uh, hope to knock on every door here in our zip code and we hope that you will join us and be part of one of those teams and then finally just take uh, make a note of june 4th it's a big day uh, in the life of our church we'll have lord's supper that day we'll have our members meeting that night uh, we'll have some fellowship that day so make sure you mark your calendars to be part of that now it's time of our worship service as we have worshiped through the word and through singing that we also worship as we give and this is a very important thing we're having bible school coming up and your faithful giving helps us to do things like vbs and so as we uh bless uh, come together we'll bless the lord uh ask the lord to bless our offering i mean uh, you can give in several different ways as they pass the plate here this morning you can also give that electronically there is a qr code in your pews or up here on the screen that you can do that as well so let's uh go to the lord and give this morning heavenly father thank you for the opportunity to give of our finances that we might show that we love you and trust in you and that we fight that we obey you in this area of our life we're thankful for all the provisions that we know are given regularly we know that all of that goes to help us do activities like vacation bible school we need the volunteers and we know that we need the finances to cover the expenses. And so we're thankful that you have provided for that year in and year out here at Hebron Baptist Church. So Lord, as we give, we know that, that you will give uh, in abundance to us so that we might give to your kingdom more. So Lord, bless us as we give. In Jesus' name, amen. Set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil while we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy 
together. Seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. We refuse to waste our lives for your joy and prize. To see the captive's hearts released, I heard the signal for at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's Mother's Day, have a great week.